And we are live from the Empire of Lies, a bastion of free speech and open debate in the vast wasteland that is the Biden administration. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. So we've got a great show today. Our producer, Rod from Philly, is in the house. Hey, Rod, how you doing? <clears throat> doing well, Lee. Can't complain. How about yourself? I'm good. So we have a great show today. First off, from Israel, by way of Hibbing, Minnesota, not Bob Dylan, but Jeff Halper, who knew Bob Dylan as a teenager, which I'm endlessly fascinated by, because I find that fascinating. That's, that's a little redundant, but you get the idea. Jeff Halper, there's a lot of stuff going on with Israel now. They want to put together a new, they're dissolving a government. You saw it, right, right Rod? Yeah, and uh, I've also seen articles from the uh, mainstream media, you know, hinting at uh, is Netanyahu going to make a comeback. Right, and there's some people who want Netanyahu to make a comeback in the same way people want Donald Trump to make a comeback. In other words, they don't. They're trying to maybe pass a law to keep Netanyahu from getting back in power. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that one. But we'll talk to Jeff about it. Some people really don't want Netanyahu to come back. And we'll talk to Jeff, who's in Israel now. And it's late there, so we got to, you know, get him on and talk to him. But is he at the bottom of the half hour or 15 minutes in? No, he's in the next 13 minutes. We're going to be talking to him. See, I, I actually didn't see that. But I'm smart enough now. Eventually, stuff kicks in. I realize because it's late there. What is it? It's almost midnight in Israel, right? Yeah, it'll be. It's 11.03 over there. So we'll get to him in 13 minutes. Then in the second hour, our friend Scotty Nell Hughes. And there's a lot of stuff to talk to Scotty about, including the thing we'll talk about right after the break, which is... I'll briefly talk to you, Rod, about Biden's proposal to cut gas taxes. That's a big headline today. And we'll be taking your calls also later and at the top of the hour. If you want to call about anything we're talking about or about our interview with David Icke earlier in the week, 202-521-1320, call us later because we're getting to Jeff in 11 minutes now, something like that. But let's take a break and talk to you, Rod, about how thrilled you are about Biden's proposal to cut taxes on the backstory. Now, who would have thought that the solution to our energy problems proposed by the Democratic president would be cutting taxes and that probably he's going to be opposed by it by a Republican Congress, because that's the way it's shaping up. He's proposing a gas tax holiday. You've seen this. President Biden 
wants everyone to have a tax holiday on gas taxes, which are about 25%, 25 cents out of a gallon of gas and like 40 cents, almost 40 cents on diesel. But it's just a holiday, Rod. Don't get excited. It's not cutting taxes. They'll be back. The taxes will be back in December, in September, forgive me. There is a three-month gas tax holiday. Now, remember Larry Summers? He's a friend with Jeff Epstein, and he's a former Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton. You've heard of Larry Summers, right, Rod? Yeah, I've heard of him. Did you hear what Larry Summers said about the Biden? And by the way, not a right-wing Republican, obviously. Did you hear what Larry Summers said about the gas tax holiday? Uh, no, I thought I heard another statement of him about making people poor, but uh, please enlighten me. Okay, well, what Larry Summers said, arch-Democrat, he said this is a stunt that does not deal with the underlying problem of gas taxes. What do you think about that? Uh, it's funny. It's funny you say that, um, or it's funny he said that because in 2008, uh, well, Barack Obama was running for president. He said the same thing. This is just for the Democrats going towards the closer to the election. It's just a stunt. And do you agree with him? Go ahead, Rod. I'm putting it accusatorily. Go ahead, Rod. Do you agree with Larry Summers, arch Democrat and friend of Jeff Epstein? Tell us, Rod. Tell us. Do you? Uh, well, you know, sometimes you got to agree with uh, some despicable people. But yeah, um, yeah, I agree with him. It is it is a stunt. You know, it, it's it's not really going to do anything to uh, really alleviate the pain that people are feeling. Um, like I said, it's just a political stunt. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure, like you said, that the Republicans are going to oppose it. But let's say they do get it passed. You know, the Democrats are going to act like they just solved uh, poverty. They're just going to just it's just a political stunt. Well, this money goes to. Infrastructure, that's where the gas taxes go to. It's 84% of this fund for infrastructure. And we've heard President Biden talk endlessly about how important it is to get money for infrastructure, right? Yeah, we need to build back better. Yes, except now, obviously, with an election coming up, He's got to do something. And I think this will have, like the missiles we've been sending over to Ukraine, very little effect and short-term effect. I'll bet gases, gas prices are up again by September. And then in September, just when the cold weather is starting, blammo. I don't want to get too technical, but blammo. That's what people are saying is going to happen. The gas taxes are going to come back in September with a vengeance because the prices will have gone up over the summer. You see what I'm saying, Rod? Yeah, I see what you're saying, Leif. And do you suspect blammo? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is going to be a very tough fall winter for most of the world, you know, especially Europe. But I think here in America, we're going to have a definitely tough winter. A lot of people are already seeing uh, energy prices on their bills go up. Uh, so, you know, when you're heating your home in a couple months, uh, those I can't imagine what those prices are going to be for some of the people. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do expect that to happen. And also, by the way, if they're coming back in September, the election's in November. So I'd say come October and November, there'll be a lot of pissed off voters. Do you think so? Yeah, just compounding issues on one another, Lee. Um, they're not fixing anything, you know. Uh, you know, I guess some people are feeling some type of uh, relief or some type of win. Um, I know we're going to probably talk about it with Scotty about this gun control bill, but it's not going to do anything for criminals. You know, it's like criminals don't exist in politicians' minds. Um, you know, criminals get guns, they get weapons, they get knives. They, I mean, they get uh, grenades, all types of stuff. You know, I know it sounds crazy, but they do. They get these type of weapons. But, you know, you know, for us normal citizens, we, we're the one who have to pay. And uh, I was thinking about some of us knew these gun laws that they're apparently going to pass in a bipartisan way. Some of them kept 18 and 19-year-olds from getting guns. You saw that, right, Rod? 20 years old, too, but. Yeah, I did see that, Lee. And I guess supposedly in the mind of the—, of the uh... Establish a politician. This is somehow going to keep uh, guns out of the out of the hands of young people. But they got guns like uh, they get guns like chewing gum nowadays. Well, because we had city. mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and Buffalo, New York, done by eighteen-year-olds, right? But after that, did you notice the last mass shooting, the one that was in a church, and I believe Alabama? Did you notice the shooter was an old dude? Right, yeah, and he attended the church sometimes, too, there, yeah. It was just like a 60-year-old guy, right? Yeah, so he's in his I, 60s. And also, did you notice the other stuff that broke about you all day? That they were waiting outside for, for a key for like 45 minutes, except the door was not locked. Yeah, I did see that, and I also saw that uh, a police officer tried to go in, and the other police officers who were there on duty uh, detained this police officer who tried to stop the shooting. So uh, just more mess, I guess you could say, about this shooting. And then, as you as you said before, they're going to demolish the school. So, uh, you know, they, uh, they're they not preserving a crime scene. Uh, you know, I don't know what where people got their criminology degrees from, but you're supposed to preserve a crime scene. And so it's amazing. There's a lot of weird stuff about that story. But let's take a short break. We will go to Israel with our correspondent. I'm making him sound fancy, like we have correspondents. I like to say that when my reads on. But our guest, Jeff Halper, writer and analyst, will be with us after this break. Rod, you say the name of the show. You are listening to the backstory. Well done, sir.
we're back on the backstory and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now from Israel, writer and actress Jeff Halper. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Okay, I'm doing well. How are you guys in your crazy country? Yeah, we're, we're pretty good. And by the way, let's just deal with the trivial, but I'm always interested in this. How is the weather currently in June in Israel? It's very warm. Uh, it's not as warm as uh, as the south southern United States, but it's it's you know in the 80s. Yeah, it's comfortable. It depends where you are. You know, it's a little country, but uh, Jerusalem is in the mountains. The West Bank is in the mountains, so it's cooler. Tel Aviv and the coast is much more muggy and hot. Yeah. Okay. Now I'll say one thing about Israel. Israel sure likes elections, don't they? Uh, they yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this yeah. is like the fifth one in something like three years. That's right. I think. Now, yeah. what's happening? I thought you had some stability for a little while, and then the prime minister is apparently calling for new elections and dissolving the government. Now, is this happening? It, it seems odd that a politician would voluntarily give up power. Is that what's happening? Well, not exactly, no. I mean, look, there's a, I don't know how much your listeners are interested, but in a word, uh, it's a crazy political system here. You know, in other words, we don't do it like the states, you know, where you have representative, you know, you have constituencies and uh, my district, whether it's the city or the state or the federal, I elect my representatives and they go to the city council, they go to the state legislature, they go to Congress or whatever. Here, the whole of Israel is one voting district. So what you what you, you go into a voting booth and you vote for a party. You don't vote for a candidate. You see, every party puts up a list as 120 members of the parliament. So every party puts up a list of 120 candidates. We have about 12 or 13 parties running in every election. Uh, no, that's not true. We have many more, but 12 or 13 parties are elected to the Knesset in every election. So if you use 120 members, you need 61 for a majority to set up a government. Now, the largest party now uh, is the Likud of Netanyahu. It has 30 seats. Well, that means it only has 20% of the vote, 30, 30 seats out of 120. So now you have to go, for now you gotta find another 31 seats, put to get, cobbled together a coalition to get to 61. Well, the other parties are 10 seats, six seats, four seats. So you end up, we have the government today of Bennett, is a government of eight different parties. And they go from the extreme right of the settlers that are settling in the West Bank, which is Bennett's party, to the left, the Zionist left, which is Merritt's and the Labor Party, but it includes an Arab Islamic party as well. So it's a crazy, uh, you know, but the, the only reason that they got together to set up a government is nobody wants Netanyahu. You know, he's, Terrible. Even his own party is tired of him, although he'll run in the next election, probably. He's got he's 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 facing uh, four fraud trials and so on. 
So the only thing that united these eight parties was they wanted the separate government without Netanyahu. Uh, but in the end, it just it just kind of fell apart because they couldn't agree on basic things, especially on the Palestinian issue. And we had during Ramadan, we had uh, evictions from Palestinian neighborhoods. We had an attack on Al-Aqsa Mosque. We had the killing of the Palestinian journalists by the Israeli army. Uh, we had this crazy fascist flag day carrying Israeli flags through the Muslim quarter of the old city. And it created such tensions that, uh, that the right wing couldn't deal with it. And, and Bennett's own party, half of his party, moved over and left the government and went to the Likud. So, you know, until we fix that system, uh, because you don't really have a party that you vote for. You know, you vote, you hold your nose, and you vote for the least worst party, basically. It doesn't represent you. You have no representative. You know, you have no congressperson to go to go talk to. Uh, you know, who sits in the parliament is determined by the parties, not by the people. And so there's a tremendous distance between the people and the parties. They have their own coalitions, their own deals, their own corruption, their own lives. And the people sit around and just shake their heads, basically. So that's where, you know, you get this instability. That, yeah, this is the fifth election in three years. And the results will be the same. You're still not going to get a, a stable um, But, you know, politicians don't want to change the system that gets them into the, into the parliament. And so we'll be stuck with this system for a long time. And do I understand cor correctly that you're saying that, in a sense, this is because Netanyahu's lurking in the background? And is it true that some people are trying to figure out a way to finally get rid of Netanyahu? He sounds like an 80s movie horror film villain, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's a corrupt uh, guy, you know. So there is, they're trying to, we'll see. Um, the government has another week or so to, sur to survive until the bill dissolving it passes. So they're going to try to pass, there's been a law they've been talking about for a long time, uh, prohibiting uh, someone for running for prime minister that, is, that has been uh, 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 either convicted or charged with a crime. If that goes through, it probably won't. But if it goes through, then Netanyahu would be disqualified from running in the election because he's up, you know, he's he's being charged on on four counts of fraud. So we'll see. But yeah, you know, he's he's in the background there. Um, I mean, the actual reason why the government fell is really kind of funny. I mean, it's uh, funny, funny. But it, it, can I tell you? Can I tell you the story in a minute? Yeah, please do. Well. In 1967, in the Six-Day War, Israel conquered the West Bank and Gaza, right, and East Jerusalem. They occupied territory. Well, Israel never annexed, I mean, Israel annexed East Jerusalem, okay. But the West Bank and Gaza, it's occupied territory. They never annexed it. And therefore, in international law, you have to govern an occupied territory with a military government, with a military government. You're not allowed to, to extend your own legal system into an occupied territory because that's de facto annexation. So Israel set up a military government that it still runs Palestinian life. Five million Palestinians are living all these years, more than a half a century under military rule. Okay, which means they're tried in military courts. 
They can't come into Israel. They have no citizenship. They have no civil rights, everything. Okay, but but you have Israeli settlers. You've got 400,000 Israeli settlers living in the West Bank today in the settlements. What about them? They can't live like Palestinians. What, they're going to go to military courts? They have to serve in the army. They have to get their pensions. So in 1967, what Israel did was it passed what, what it called emergency regulations. And that said, Israelis living in the West Bank will have Israeli citizens. They'll have all the protections, the legal protections of an Israeli citizen. So that's apartheid. In other words, apartheid is when you have two legal systems for two populations based on race or religion or nationality or whatever. Okay. But the idea was then that that apartheid system, those emergency regulations would be renewed every five years. Well, and that's been done automatically because everybody in the Israeli government, from the right to the left, wants to extend that law to the Israeli settlers. Well, this time around, instead of going through automatically, the Likud with Netanyahu wants to bring down the government, right? So the Likud will not vote for any law that the government proposes, even if a law that it agrees to. So everybody in the Likud, I mean, half the voters for the Likud are settlers, but the Likud refused to, to pass the law and it didn't pass. Well, now they've got to pass the law by the end of June or this whole apartheid system is going to start falling apart because uh, by the end of June, when the regulations expire, all these settlers are going to be like Palestinians. They can't come to Israel without a permit. They, they, uh, they can, they'll be tried in military courts. They can't serve in the army. Uh, the Israeli police can't deal with them anymore. They come under military law. And that would completely expose the way the apartheid system, the way the occupation runs. And that's the reason why Bennett's government resigned, because Bennett's whole party is settlers, you see? So now what happens is, since the government resigned, okay, now the Likud and the opposition will be willing to vote for this law. So in, in, in other words, it's true, Netanyahu and Bennett sacrificed his government uh, in order to pass this law, but all his voters are settlers, so he couldn't not, he couldn't make them into Palestinians, you see, and so he got caught in his own petard in a way. But it just shows that the, the, a government will fall before they expose the apartheid nature of the occupation. Great explanation, Jeff. Thanks. Now you mentioned before briefly the death of the. Al Jazeera journalist Shireen. Last time we talked to you, that was still ongoing. And last time we talked to you, the Israeli government was still not clear on who shot her. They thought it might have been Hamas. It might have been them. They weren't saying. What's the latest update on this journalist being murdered? Well, I mean, the latest update is the Israeli army decided it's not going to investigate at all. So there'll never be a conclusion coming coming out of uh, the Israeli military, the Israeli government. But most of the, I mean, the Washington Post uh, uh, published a, a big story about a week or so ago. And all the evidence shows that she was killed by the Israeli army. Israel was trying to say, well, it might have been Palestinians shooting. No, it was done by the Israeli army. Uh, 
and now Israel Israel doesn't admit it, but it's admitted on the on the media and military people are admitting it and so on informally. But what they're saying is, okay, we did it, but it was an accident, right? Now even that's not true, because apparently she was shot from a, a moving convoy. Okay, so first of all, she wasn't okay. So let's say she shot from a moving convoy. Right. Okay, that could be a mistake. That could, you know, you're it's a convoy. I mean, you're just shooting now. Why you're shooting randomly from a convoy? That's another issue. But okay, you're shooting and you hit her. But the the her her um, her photographer, they were standing next to her, was also shot. Now you don't shoot two people standing next to each other by mistake. I mean, this is already how many you know how many mistakes can you make in what in one in one shot? So this this was apparently they aimed at her. They knew she was the press, and that's why Israel won't investigate. They won't investigate because they say there's nothing criminal here, uh, and so there's a lot of pressure on the on the Biden administration because she was also an American citizen. So there's a lot of pressure on them to investigate, and they're dragging their heels because the Biden people will never ever criticize. I mean, Biden's coming here in two weeks. So, you know, uh, the Saudis killed uh, an American journalist, Kasoji, who was both Saudi and American. The Israelis killed an American Palestinian journalist, Sharim Abu Akleh. And Biden's coming to both countries next week, in, in two weeks or so. So, you know, it's clear that, uh, that uh, oil, military relationships, not getting into a fight with Israel, all take precedence for politicians over... Who kills American citizens? And that's the sad truth. It'll come out in the end. It'll come out in the end. There'll be some kind of investigation from outside parties. But, um, but uh, you know, Israel's not cooperating and nobody's pressuring it in particular. And obviously, the fact that they were investigating, did people there think that proved anything? Because I, I think so. I think the fact that they're not investigating tells us what the investigation would have found. What do you think, Jeff? No, of course. I mean, everybody knows. You know, it's like the Leonard Cohen song. Everybody knows. Mm -hmm. But uh, who cares? That's the issue. Nobody gives a damn uh, who killed her. It's, it, Israelis just don't care. I mean, who cares? Except, I mean, the rest of the world, you know, obviously protecting journalists is really an important uh, kind of a thing. But for the Israeli public, it really doesn't matter. I mean, uh, they don't care about Palestinians. They, they've turned off. They've washed their hands of the whole Palestinian issue, the occupation. That's up to the army. Whatever the army does is fine. And uh, don't bother me. I have more important things to deal with. So it's a non-issue here. Nobody, nobody cares. And uh, as a matter of fact, today, there was a thing in the, on the news. Uh, uh, Yossi Balin, who, who used to be one of the negotiators in the Oslo agreements, was on TV talking about the two-state solution, which is silly, but anyway, that's... And, uh, and the, uh, the, the woman that was interviewing him on TV, the newscaster, said, uh, well, you know, there's not going to be a two-state solution. There's certainly not going to be a one-state solution. We're not going to all live together. Uh, you know, and Yossi Balin says, well, if that's the case, then we're left with apartheid. 
you know, if there's no solution, we're left with apartheid, an apartheid system that Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch all have said is an apartheid system. You know what her reaction was, the woman interviewing him? What's wrong with that? In other words, the system we have right this minute that's supported by the United States, that's been going like this for 54 years, since 1967, an apartheid system, has been okay. So besides the fact that maybe you don't like the word apartheid, what's wrong with this situation? Israelis are living at peace. They're living the good life. Israel enjoys international support. Who cares about the Arabs, right? We don't even call the Palestinians Palestinians. We call them Arabs. And uh, so as long as you don't call it apartheid, it's fine. If you do want to call it apartheid, they, the, the reaction is beginning to be in Israel. Well, what's wrong with that? So that's the degree to which this whole apartheid occupation colonial system is being normalized. And in that situation, nobody cares what happens to the Arabs. It's just it's just not an issue. Now, speaking about another issue that's sure to trigger apathy in Americans, the war in Syria has been going on about a decade now. And we recently had an attack on an airport in that's Damascus, Damascus, Syria, right? The can Damascus you, can you talk about that a little bit, Jeff? Well, Israel's uh, running a war. It's only a semi-secret war against Iran. Uh, and um, again, supported by the United States. And that's one of the reasons why Biden is coming to Israel to talk about um, about uh, Iran. You know, <laughs> you know, the whole thing with Iran, everybody's concerned that they're building a nuclear weapon. First of all, the only nuclear power in the Middle East is Israel that has probably two to 500 nuclear warheads at its disposal that can deliver in multiple ways, by, by plane, by ships, by submarines. Israel has, has, is now buying, it has six now, it's buying nine nuclear-capable submarines. Israel's going to have more nuclear submarines than China does, um, you know, Israel being the size of New Jersey. Uh, and... Uh, so everybody's trying to prevent Iran from getting a nuclear a nuclear bomb. Well, you know, first of all, why would Iran agree to that? You know, they're facing Israel that has uh, nuclear weapons. But besides that, um, um, you know, uh, you know, the United States with Obama and John Kerry did get into agreement with Iran that they would not have an atom bomb, a nuclear bomb. Iran agreed. They were international uh, uh, super, you know, um, uh, you know, inspectors with the International uh, 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 Atomic Commission, um, and everything was fine until Israel, because Israel wants to attack Iran. It, it wants to to really, uh, in a sense, destroy Iran, and the nuclear weapons are an excuse. So Israel pressured Trump, which wasn't the big press. And Trump pulled out of the agreement with Iran. So Iran said, well, screw you guys. You know, if you're going to, and not only that, but they sanctioned Iran. They're living under sanctions. So, you know, Iran says, well, okay, you know, we're going to, we are going to build a nuclear weapon. Then. So Israel, in a sense, created a situation where Iran had agreed not to have a weapon. Israel pressured the U.S. to, uh, to, uh, to pull out of the agreement anyway. 
and uh, and so all this is is an, is an excuse to attack Iran. Iran is also passing weapons to Hezbollah, which is its ally in Lebanon that Israel sees as an as an enemy. So Israel's attacking Syria. Uh, I can't attack. It's also attacking Iran. I mean, it's attacked the nuclear facilities. It just it just uh, killed uh, you know a couple uh, officials in the in the Iranian army last week. A whole campaign of assassinations is going on, as well as attacks, including attacks on Syria, Damascus Airport, uh, all really in in order so called to prevent Israel from getting a nuclear Iran from getting a nuclear weapon even though they had an agreement that it wouldn't get a nuclear weapon. The answer really is, and Biden is so bad. I mean, you know, Trump, Trump, but, you know, Biden is, is just terrible because he's not, he doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't think things through. It's like you're reacting all the time. The, 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 the way to, uh, to really approach this whole issue of nuclear weapons, you're not going to get Iran to dismantle if Israel has 200 nuclear weapons pointed at Iran. You know, so the answer is let's have a nuclear free Middle East. Iran won't have nuclear weapons. Israel will get rid of its nuclear weapons. No other country, because Saudi Arabia wants to buy nuclear weapons now. No country will have nuclear weapons. Doesn't that sound like a simple, straightforward policy that Biden could uh, could follow? Instead, he's going to run to Israel and and uh, and uh, and see. Yeah, I think I think Biden is going to allow Israel to attack Iran because there is no agreement. And I don't I don't know if there's going to be an agreement at all, because uh, Iran says we're not to agree unless you take away the sanctions. The United States won't take away the sanctions. It's, it's, it's just a mess. And I guess my problem with Biden, you know, is uh, and with all all the world leaders is that they have no strategy. They have no systemic approach to international relations. It's just like that game, you know, where one peg, you know, you get Ukraine pops up and you hit it on the head with a hammer, and then Syria pops up and you hit it on the head with a hammer, and then China pops up and then Saudi Arabia pops. There's no, there's no management to the world system in any in any coherent way, and Israel exploits that in order to make the U.S. jump from this to this to this, you know. Uh, and uh, and Biden is now coming to meet the uh, you know to to Saudi Arabia and Israel the two the two most oppressive undemocratic uh, you know countries I mean Sa Saudi Arabia not only killed Khashoggi Saudi Arabia was behind 9/11 you know Saudi Arabia was behind did 9/11 and uh, and uh, and what did the U S do it attacked Iraq. It had nothing to do with it. So the whole, you know, if you're trying to understand Israel and Iran and Syria and the U.S., it's all completely irrational. It's not an international system we're living in that we can get a grip on because there is no strategy. There is no plan. There's no vision. There's no there's no morality. I mean, Biden runs to Saudi Arabia, you know, uh, you know, a couple months after he said they're a pariah. So in that kind of a situation, of course, a country like Israel, rogue countries like Israel, Iran, Saudi Arabia, all these countries can do whatever they want to do because there's no, there are no rules. There's no frameworks. There's no morality. There's no international law that's applied. Israel's violated international law, the Fourth Geneva Convention, for the last 54 years. 
and it gets away with it because the United States has vetoed resolutions to sanction Israel for its violations of international law in the UN 28 times. You know, so in that kind of a situation, you know, you just forget about trying to understand or manage international relations. It's just a complete mess. Now, Jeff, do you think, in a sense, what's going on may be partially a a operation to pressure Russia, one of Saudi Arabia's allies, who's made it very clear that attacking the airports would be a red line for Russia? Attacking which airports? You mean in Syria? Yes, forgive me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, Russia is the patron of... Uh, Assad in Syria? No, I don't. I don't think so because uh, Israel actually is 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 in the middle of this whole. Israel never, uh, never condemned uh, Russia for the invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, Israel does not sanction Russia. The only airline, besides Aeroflot, that flies out of Russia is El Al. Yeah, partly because you know probably most of the oligarchs. In Russia, are Jewish, and they have uh, they have Israeli citizenship, so they're all flying back and forth with suitcases full of money uh, to Israel. So Israel is really playing a role in in uh, bypassing the sanctions that the United States and Europe have put on Russia, but at the same time, because you know, because Israel needs Russia, uh, and and so what, anything Israel does in Syria is kind of coordinated with Russia. Israel's not gonna go against Russia. But on the other hand, of course, Israel's close to the US. And so, uh, you know, so, um, so uh, you know, it's trying to finesse it in a way. It's trying to say, that, here is another example. Biden's running to Israel to talk about Iran and Israel's undercutting American policy in Ukraine. You know, uh, so, you know, the whole, you know, and of course, he's running to Saudi Arabia to get more oil, even though he's supposed to be the green president of electric cars and, and clean energy. He's running there because of the uh, because, you know, the Russians attacked Iran, Ukraine, and that raised the price of oil uh, and foods and so on that Israel's a part of. So you would think the United States would be would be sanctioning Israel for its de facto support of Russia. And for and 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 therefore for its de facto role in raising oil prices, but instead it's running to Israel, you know, um, uh, you know, I don't know why exactly. I think the reason they're running to Israel, to tell you the truth, is because the midterms are coming up, and uh, and I think Biden wants to be seen as pro-Israel, uh, both uh, mainly in the Jewish community, but in general, you know, Israel is this big issue for the Democrats. Uh, and uh, I think Biden wants to be seen as uh, as pro-Israel. So I think it has to do really, in other words, he's willing to throw the United States itself, Saudi Arabia, Israel, uh, uh, Iran, Ukraine, everything international under the bus in order to uh, to brown up to Israel in order to, to look good in the elections. It has a lot to do with the elections. And all this other stuff is, you know, stuff that you deal with, you know, in a very irrational, erratic kind of a way. Um, and that's that's the way the world's run. I mean, it's not only Biden. I mean, 
every political leader is, is like that. But it, it's uh, just a system where countries like Israel and Saudi Arabia get away with it. Well, great parents as usual, Jeff Halper. Thanks so much. It's late there, so we'll let you go. But thanks so much for explaining what's going on in Israel. And do us a favor when Biden goes over there. I'm glad I can you, leave you your, keep, your listeners with an up, uplifting feeling. No, thank, <laughs> no, thank you. And if we, when Biden goes over there, if you can keep him, that's okay by us. Thanks very much, All right. Jeff. All right, you guys. Have a good night. And let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the Russia-Ukraine situation with a very interesting witness. Stay tuned to the backstory. backstory and thanks again to Jeff Halper a lot of energy Jeff Jeff is a great guest coming to us from Israel and we like people who are on the ground because they can present a view of the facts that you don't get covering a story from afar and that's why this next clip up we play is summary reporting from Ukraine from the Dinesh People's Republic and someone and the media in the West, the media in the United States and Great Britain have not been reporting for days in Donetsk. Ukraine has been shelling civilians. These are civilian areas with no military value whatsoever and no military attacks coming from these areas. And Ukraine has been shelling civilians, a war crime. Now to report on it, Aiden Aslan. Aiden Aslan is one of the mercenaries who was recently sentenced to death by the Danish Republic. And Aiden Aslan has had a YouTube channel and so I'm going to play a fairly long clip. Command Central's going to play it. I'm not, nothing to do with it. But this is about six minutes of Aiden talking. And remember, this is a person who's been sentenced to death. He has no reason to lie for Donetsk. But I'd seen it from other reporters, Patrick Lancaster and others, talking about the shelling in Donetsk, and you'll hear Aiden, and I find this fascinating. So this is Aiden Aslan from his YouTube channel talking about what he's been seeing, and a lot of people have a lot of different feelings about Aiden Aslan. Some people think he doesn't deserve to die. Some people think he does. And I'm going to say that I think He's sincere. I'm not on jury. I I don't make that determination. And I've said before, I'm against the death penalty in general. So you know where I come down on this. 
I don't think Aiden Aslan deserves the death penalty because I don't like the death penalty being imposed on anyone. But have a listen to what he's saying about the Ukrainian war crimes and see what you think. Hit it. This is Aiden Aslan with another new video. Um, it's been like a week since my uh, sentence was given out. Um, just a quick update. Hopefully something positive comes from it in the future. Um, I don't know. Um, people are probably wondering how I feel right now, like after after the sentence. Uh, I'd say emotional, like every day I'm emotional. Um, scared, worried. Um, I speak to God quite a lot, like every day. Um, so yeah. That's my emotional state and how I'm feeling at the moment. Um, recently, there was also there's also the stress of like the the shelling that we've been going through like recently. Um, if, I'm not sure if, if people get it in the West like news-wise, but like this this past week, like, like Donetsk has been under like incredible shelling like from the Ukrainian side, and like, I've witnessed this like firsthand. Like I was scared for my life when this happened um, in the prison I am on. Uh, like we came under like artillery shelling from like the Ukrainian side. Um, and I legit thought like I was going to end up dying by the hands of Ukraine because for the whole day and like for the past few days before that like the shelling from the Ukrainian side was like super intense and just so people understand I'm in the center like like Donetsk is like a city like it's not it's not like military targets or anything like this is a civilian prison as well so like it's in the center like so I'm trying to figure out like why Ukraine is purposely like targeting like the civilian areas and I've seen this like firsthand now like like, you know, before, like, I, I didn't really know too much, like, realistically, like, from what I saw, my perspective, how I was going through what I went through, like, I can now see the bigger picture with with what the people of Donbass, like, go through, like, in regards to, like, the shelling in Donetsk, um, like, uh, for, like, for the entire day, it was just incoming artillery. There was no outgoing artillery. Like I know, I know the difference between incoming and outgoing. And I spent the whole day like fearing I was going to be killed by the Ukrainian artillery shelling because, like, it, it was like pretty close to our like like cell. Like it's close enough to feel the shock wave and also to feel well, to hear the uh, shrapnel raining down like outside the cell window. So. Yeah, like the, the, these past few days, there's been incredible shelling on the city, and I have to keep asking myself, like, why, why they keep doing this? Because, again, like this, this is a prison. Like, we're not near any military targets. I know this area. Like, like there's just random shelling of like civilian areas, and I've seen this like firsthand now. Um, so, like, I, I, I don't know. What more I can say in that, that regard, like, I'd say more that my eyes are, like, fully open. I, like, like I said before, I saw in Mariupol um, how the, like, Azov Battalion, for example, were using, like, civilian apartments as, like, shields. And, like, now here I can see, like, how there's, there's total lack of care or consideration for the civilians. 
and it's now seems apparent to me that it's just random shelling in response to shelling that's from a diff completely different area and they just choose to shell the city to punish the citizens of Donetsk. Um, I wish I could say more on it, but like there's, like, there's like no words I can use to describe it because like I've served for like four years in the military like under a total different opinion and perspective. And like after that, that, that that's like the final straw like for like, like what I've seen. Like it's my final outright eye opener. Um, and there's not much more I can say to it about that like for eight years, like, this is what the citizens of Donetsk have gone through. And yeah, like, people will say, like, it's, it's in the news and all that, like, from, like, the DPR side, but, like, on the Ukrainian side, it's a different story. Like, it's, well, there's, there's no better way to put it than just blatant propaganda is probably the best way to say it, um, about um, they're not targeting civilians or stuff like that. Like, I've seen it firsthand, like, I thought I was going to die the other day because, like, the, the artillery shelling was, like, hitting around our cell. Like, I got into an argument with one of my Ukrainian cellmates because of it, because he he was telling what I was saying was about the Ukrainian military targeting civilians. Like, it's blatantly obvious, like, and people will say, I'm a prisoner, I'm, like, being forced to say this. Like, it's, it's just not the truth. Like, I, I was scared for my life. I thought I was going to ironically die by Ukrainian shelling. Like, that, that, that's, that's the truth that people need to hear. Like, I wish I'd known about it, like, like before, but this is just God's way, I presume, of showing me what the real truth is. Um, so, there's not much more I can say about that, just... So there's Aiden Aslan, who's been sentenced to death in the Donetsk People's Republic. And you can call in 202-521-1320 next hour if you want to talk about that or the David Icke interview from early in the week or any of these subjects. But Rod, what did you think of Aiden Aslan there? Did you believe him? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he even talked about uh, arguing with uh, fellow Ukrainian prisoners. So, I mean, what, what would be the reason to lie? I mean, he's going to he's gonna die anyway. If the shelling would have took him out or he's going to die by, uh, I believe he's going to be gunfire, right? He's going to be a death squad. I mean, a, a firing squad. So, I mean, there's no reason for him to lie. And it's it just... It's just uh, it's just sad that our media doesn't want to report what's happening in Donetsk to the people in the Donetsk. And like he said, it's there's no there's no military over there. There's no reason for them to be uh, targeting to the Donetsk People's Republic area. And uh, you know, the media over here, or even you know, the UK or other parts of Europe, they're just completely there's a complete blackout on this. And they'll talk about. I I saw all the news talk about that he was sentenced to death. Why don't you talk to Aiden? Why don't you wussies in the press go talk to him? Go talk to him about what he experienced. Anyone from ABC, CBS, CNN, go over and talk to him. Malcolm Nance, Malcolm Nance, man up and go talk to Aiden about what he saw. 
man up Malcolm Nance. Do you think Malcolm Nance is going to talk to Aiden? No, he'll, he'll probably call Aiden uh, a conspiracy theorist, and uh, this is all a, uh, a hoax. Um, that's what I would believe he would say, just to try to deflect from the reality, because Malcolm Nance is a, is a is a character. He's not a he's not a, he's not a real journalist. He's not a real military person. He's just he's just a character on TV for MSNBC. And I'll say one other thing, and this is slightly personal, but you know we've had John Mark Dugan on the show a couple times. Rod, right? right? Right. And he's a great guest and a likable guy. John Mark Dugan and Ava Bartlett, two guests who've been on the show before, which is why it's personal for me, are on this deathless, this hit list in Ukraine of journalists that they want to kill. Did you see John Mark Dugan was marked for death because of his journalism in Ukraine? Yeah, and he last time he was on, he was talking about it as well. So, you know, people doing real work, real journalism, real citizen journalism over there are are to being targeted because it contradicts the the mainstream narrative. And I'd like to say it's disgusting and un-American, except our government has put Julian Assange effectively on a death list. And when we treat Assange like we treat him for telling the truth. We don't have any room to talk. Call in if you've got an opinion. 202-521-1320. And let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're taking your calls on The Backstory. Empire of Lies, a bastion of truth in the vast wasteland that is the Empire of Lies. I won't even restrict you to Biden. It's a it's a, because I'm so pissed sorry, I'm so pissed about Donald Trump and what he did to your Julian Assange. I don't think Trump was the main guy behind it, but the buck stop has to stop with Trump. And Mike Pompeo was the guy behind it. But I didn't notice Donald Trump firing Mike Pompeo. There, rant over. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Thanks again for Jeff Halper for being our guest in the last hour, where we learned a lot. Five elections in three years. You heard that, right, Rod? That's a lot of elections. Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a lot for such a small country. Can you imagine if we had that many elections in this country with the despicable way we run our elections? But yeah, we we would have a text text your ballot in instead of mail your ballot and just text it in. Coming up this hour, Scotty Nell Hughes, our great friend. People like when Scotty's on, and me too. I always like talking to Scotty about a variety of issues, Supreme Court issues, this gas holiday. We'll talk about her with other stuff. And we're taking your calls 
202-521-1320 on the backstory. Okay, I try Tyreef, I'll see I see you and I'll get to you in one second. I was on Tara Reed's podcast last night. And you know what I was on with? If I say Comrade Misty, does that ring a bell, Rod? Yeah, I'm, I'm very, uh, I know her very well. I mean, through, through, through uh, social media, not personally, but I know her through social media. Right, we got to get her on the show. You know what they said when I was on the podcast and they saw I was going to be on? Comrade Misty, who's a great Twitter person, among other things, she's an actress for Assange, but I know her from Twitter. Is that how you, that's how you know her, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. So she said to me, I just put together, you're Shane's father. She know me because she'd been on ball lines a number of times with my son Shane. And it's kind of weird as a parent when people know you from your kid, the radio talk show host. Does that make sense, Rod? No, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I mean, it's I'm I'm it's as it should be, but it was nice. Two of the get two of the people on the show said to me, Oh, you're Shane's father. Well, that's cool. Oh, Shane's awesome. And I like hearing that about my son, because I think he's awesome. I'm a big fan of my son. And what one thing I love about Shane is he's not me. And I've always said this, and I'll continue to. I did not raise children to follow in my footsteps. I raised children to be independent. And most of my children are so independent, they won't speak to me. But in a sense, I'm, I'm miserable about that. But in another sense, I'm happy about it because I, I want children who are independent-minded. Does that make any sense, Rod, or am I just telling something to keep myself from crying? No, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying, Lee. And uh, I'm the same. I'm the same way. You know, I have two small children, they're babies. You know, two-year-old and a six-month-old. But you know, that's how you want to raise your kids. You don't necessarily want the the strict, rigorous regimen that you want them to follow and be exactly how you want. You want them to follow whatever life that they. Uh, that they want to follow, whether it be uh, career-wise or just something that they enjoy. Right, because at least I know they have no fear of being jerky to me. Does that make sense? They're not, you know, some kids are afraid of their parents. They wouldn't say stuff to them because they're afraid what their parents might think. I think my kids are confident enough that I love them. They know, I think my kids know the ones that aren't talking to me, which is most of them. And I did hear from Shane on Father's Day. I got through Father's Day, and I hadn't seen the message, but I missed it. It was on my phone waiting for me. So I talked to Shane uh, briefly. But my kids that aren't talking to me, I think they know I love them so much that whether they, they talk to me or not, Elon Musk said the other day, do you see, did you see what Elon Musk said on Father's Day, Rod? Uh, no, I didn't, Lee, but I know um, the media has been 
focusing in on his one son that wants to change his name, and I think he's also going through a uh, gender transition. Yeah, and thank. I'm not aware of any gender transitioning among my kids, and that it's complex enough. But Elon Musk said, "I my kids didn't ask to be born. I chose to have them," and he said. They don't owe me anything because they didn't ask to be born. And he said, and I owe them everything. And I I thought that was very moving of Elon Musk. And I see his point. Do you, Rod? Yeah, and I look at it in the other way where we have, um, unfortunately, I know some people that uh, are having kids, still having kids and aren't fathering their kids their children. They're not there in the home. They're not there with the the mother. And, you know, my thing is these children weren't asked to be born and you're just leaving them out here in the wild. You know what I mean? To just this crazy society to, to raise them. So, you know, I I look at it in the other way. Um, I I applaud how Elon said it, but I look at it in the other way when other people are just having kids and just, you know, not uh, neglecting their children. Um, You know, they didn't ask to be born and you, you know, you're you're causing suffering by just having kids and not, you know, being fathers to your children. No, no, and I agree with that. And 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 there's a lot of parenting issues that uh, that are in the news today, for lack of a better word. And so it's interesting to me. But two hundred two five two one thirteen twenty. Tarif, what is on your mind? Thank y'all for taking my call. I have full comments. First, I'd like to say free drawing and science. Okay, here, here I go. Um. Ukrainian troops that's in the Donbass region, um, it's speculation that some of them might go rogue, might go um, AWOL, you know, a mutiny, because they're losing um, a whole bunch of troops. Lithuania, there's reports that Lithuania might cut off Kilograd gas, and Russia going to respond by doing something else. We don't know what it's going to be. And we talked about that situation yesterday with our guest, Elijah Monnier. And that's a very dangerous situation, that Kilimgrad situation. Very dangerous. Go, good point, Reef. Go ahead. Julian Science, this is my third one. I got one after this. Julian Science family wants the Australian government to come out and stop the extradition of Julian Science. The Australian government is reports that they're already working on to stop the extradition of Julian Science already, but they're doing it quietly. So the Parents with the media help in Australia is trying to push the Australian government to come out and say it instead of doing it quietly, which makes sense. My last comment, they have an article that came out from um, EnglishElMedyadin.net. It's an Arab uh, website from the Middle East saying that Belarus had gave information to the Iraqi government. They say Belarus reveals mass execution of Iraqi refugees by Polish soldiers. Belarus says it it informed an Iraqi delegation of the details of an investigation to conclude about a mass execution and secret burial of Iraqi refugees killed by Polish army. The information was given to the um, Iraqi um, delegation. Um, remember those um, um, people that was going through Belarus like last year or two years ago? That was coming from the Middle East, Iraq, Afghanistan, and, and people from coming from Afghanistan. Why they what they saying? 135 of them 
you know, something happened to him. Like, it was, like, disappeared, like, it was killed. So they try to open up an investigation on that, you know, to see if the Polish Army actually done that, you know. Belarus say they have evidence of it. So we're going to see what's going on with that. Thank you for taking my call. Well, thanks, Sharif. And it's important to remember, before the Russian military action against Ukraine, that Poland was unpopular with a lot of countries for what they were doing about the refugee crisis. Remember that, Rod? Yeah. You remember how pissed off everyone was at Poland? But suddenly the Ukraine situation, they're people's new heroes and friends. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it just uh, shows the uh, bipolar world we live in as far as uh, how things, you know, how the, how the uh, p political situations work out. Yes. And uh, so we'll see how that, that develops. That Kaliningrad uh, situation where I'm seeing now Lithuania is starting to say, well, this wasn't our idea. This is forced on us. Oops. By because they know they're going to have to deal with Russia on this. Lithuania is not prepared to deal with Russia on this. And by the way, someone pointed out these are NATO countries, but Elijah pointed out yesterday that if this becomes a situation where because they're NATO countries, other NATO countries have to respond. Turkey has indicated that this is a provocation by Lithuania and other countries, and they're not going to go along with that. So this could... I'm seeing lots of signs that Turkey or Torsia, whatever their new name is, uh, is ready to ditch NATO. And I think a lot of people in NATO would be happy to see him go, but it's going to make the region in general less stable. Do you see that developing, Rod? Yeah, it was interesting to hear Elijah talk about uh, Article 5 uh, in NATO and that uh, you need a consensus for to, to trigger Article 5, which, you know— uh, it's interesting because you know we've been hearing over the years, you know, you know, one attack on one NATO country is an attack on all of them. But if there's no consensus, then you can't even uh, trigger Article Five. And like you said, Lithuania has—they are not even close, not even within the solar system of prepared to deal with with Russia's response and what they're going to do. But I'd also like to hear if anyone's got opinions on what Aiden Aslan was saying. We play the audio in the last segment. Give us a call, 202-521-1320. Or if you've got more comments on the David Icke interview. Boy, that was fun. Talking to David Icke. And we got to get him back on the show and have him talk to Carmine. Owl Killer is online now. Well, in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to... Owl Killer, hang on one second because I'm going to take Ingrid from DC's call first. She is not an Aiden Aslan fan. That's the last thing I heard about Ingrid. So let's take that call, 202-521-1320. Hey, Ingrid, what is on your mind? Did I misstate that position? No, you didn't. And I'm not a David Icke fan either, and I have comments about both of them. 
Um, I have a really hard time believing that for four years that he was there and speaking the, the Russian or Ukrainian language to such an extent that in his first interview with Graham Phillips, he had a hard time remembering the English word for things. I have a hard time accepting that he didn't have a better idea of what was going on. And I guess the kindest thing I can say to him is he looks kind of simple-minded. But going back to even his being in Syria, he has this long history of being in really dubious situations. Everybody goes, oh, he was fighting for the Kurds against ISIS. Well, the Kurds are not squeaky clean. They're up there in their corner of Syria, basically treasonously trying to take a part of Syria and also expelling the uh, indigenous Arab population that was there. So anyway, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to use the death penalty. They might, but I think it's going to be converted maybe to something uh, like hard labor or prison or something. It's kind of strange, the comments under his, his video of people saying, well, they should pardon you. That's not the option. They're not going to pardon him. They will they will convert it to a lesser sentence, I think, would be what would happen. And that would be probably good because the death is harsh. But as far as David Icke, he, he was very impressive in his masterful uh, skirting of your question about, about lizard people. And I, I noticed... He gave this long answer. You, you came in right at the beginning of the interview, said, well, let's put this out of the way. And he didn't put it out of the way at all, not to my satisfaction. He sort of made half sentences about, well, I went here and there, and I saw this all over the world. He never said what he saw. And all of this business about how people are cooperating in these schemes and conspiracies, well, sure. Uh, people self-aggregate according to their own interests and their own power and their own and their own sphere. There's nothing in that to indicate that there needs to be some external power directing or compelling these people to behave as as they do. So it was quite a performance. Well, I think I think I I think he did explain it without getting into detail, which he didn't need to, uh, pretty well. And so we'll have David back on the show again. But again, you know, if I, the the part that David Icke talks about that I'm most influenced by is from the 19th century on. And any stuff about ancient civilizations is out of my purview. But thanks for the calling, Grid. 202-521-1320. Owl killer, what is on your mind? Well, um, of course, I'm going to have to touch on uh, what, what uh, Ingrid just said. But beforehand, uh, you were talking about your son and how you didn't raise uh, your kid to you know, just parrot what you say. And it's funny because the person who came on after you, Gerald Salenti of uh, tr- the Trends Journal, Trends in the News, um, he's been a guest on Alex for over a decade and a half and he came on right after you and it it's exactly what his father who came from naples italy said um 
you say, because my family's also uh, from Naples, um, Papagallo, which is, it's Napoleon, uh, Neapolitan dialectic or dialect for uh, parrot. I didn't, you know, I didn't raise you to think what I think or to repeat what other people say. I raised you to be your own man. I think you, he also has uh, Paul Craig Roberts, who both of whom, um, that writes for the Trans Journal, both of whom I think you would really enjoy having on as guests. And they, I, I know Gerald, Paul's kind of reclusive, but I know Gerald would definitely come on your show. And um, he's been an anti-war person since, since uh, after Vietnam. You know, he worked in the chemical industry. Um, I, I think he'd be one of, one of the uh, best people you could talk to if you ever get a chance to have him on. Um, why I did, you know, I I want to touch on um, the David Ike thing. I don't want to get too wrapped up in it. Well, well, let me just say this. I'll call it real briefly. I learned that from my father. My father, I was not a political person. I've I've said before he was a golf pro. And I, as a person, could give a hoot about golf. I could care less. And that was my father's life. But he always raised me to be my own person. And I didn't appreciate it until later. And the only issue with my kids that I have is I think they would rather realize it now while I'm still around and they can talk to me. Because I think in later years, they will appreciate the fact that I didn't try to force my way, you know what I mean, into their life. So, but, but, because I really appreciate that about my father, that he raised me to be independent. I appreciate it the older I get. And I guess that's one of the ironies. So I just want to mention that point. Okay, go ahead. What, what were you saying about? David Ike Alcoller. I'm only going to touch on this uh, real quick because my main point is going to come after this. But um, I, I again, like I, I think people pay attention; they get wrapped up on stuff like lizard people. And he, I mean, she said oh, Ingrid's saying that he doesn't. There doesn't have to be some type of external force for people to work together for their own interests. That that's what he's saying drove him. He's like, okay, what is it? that makes people over the centuries work towards the same goal and just parrot the same, like word for word, hundred for hundreds of years, work the men of Tordinance, that's actually what they refer to themselves as. And I think, I, th I brought it up a few shows ago. I, I think now they are at the point where they see their own mortality, whether it's David Rockefeller or George H.W. Bush, and I think now they went, they're going for broke because they're like, hey, you know, if we don't move, we may not realize our goals. And I, I think that is why, you know, it, it went from 2050 to 2030. And I, I think people like Trump, uh, Putin, or uh, who's the guy down in Brazil? Um, who, who's Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. I think figures like that, you know, they're doorstops in their – Putin's because because he he has much more control over his government than Trump or Bolsonaro ever did. But they're doorstops on a door that's closing, and you know they they're they're like basically road bumps that these people have to get over. But I think that's why they they've become so aggressive in the last I would say since Trump got elected, but more so 2019 and on, they have been so aggressive 
at censor at censoring people and you know putting restrictions on people seizing bank accounts like we don't do that in the west and that that we're we're behaving like the gangsters we always promote other countries to be and you know i i saw with with the new um they're talking about BRICS again brazil russia india china and uh south africa um that's half the that's almost half the world's population and i think that's what putin is move i mean he spoke the other day how they're they're going towards a, there's going to be a new world a new new world order where there's going to be a, it's no longer going to be a unipolar world and i think that's the greatest fear of the west not so much that they i i think that because who and you know a normal person would say if somebody doesn't want to be with me or doesn't want to do business with me you know that's on them but i i don't think these these control freaks can because they don't need us. I mean, the, the Russia, if Brazil with the raw materials, Russia with the raw materials, India and China with their manufacturing, South Africa, you know, if they got together, they don't need anybody else. And they can have their own um, economy. And maybe that is best for the world, you know, where we do our own thing, they do their own thing. And, you know, I, I, I would prefer everybody getting along. And, you know, you I mean, I think if the United States and Russia ever got together, it's to the stars. And I think that that's a I think that's a big um, reason why they try to divide us. And I'll go. I, I got another call, but great call. Appreciate it. Great call. As usual, Al Killer, 202-521-1320. Only because we're short on time. I want to give him some Malik. You're on. Malik, what's on your mind? Thanks for taking my call, Lee. Um, I, you know, I, I, I wanted to, to I wanted to hear your opinion as, as well, um, but I, I wanted to, to know, you know, the, maybe some of your, your, your thoughts on what do you think it is, actually, um, that is really the, besides, obviously, you know, the, uh, the Israeli lobby, um, and other obvious uh, influences that that Israel has in the United States. What do you think it is that uh, Israel actually has uh, over uh, the the um, the American uh, power structure in, in in government? What do you think it is? Because clearly, obviously, it's not just obviously you know the influence that we see. There is there is a clear difference. You know, and obviously the United States is, you know, is obviously got its its dirt and it, and its its uh, uh, war criminal uh, behavior, but but clearly uh, there there is there is uh, you know there is obviously a culture of of of, uh, of deference and a bended knee to to Zionism in in this country. Um, you know, in, in the influence, and I mean, obviously coming from, you know, coming from the black community in America, uh, I, I would say, uh, I, I have no problem saying that there is an undue influence of the Jewish American community. Some of it good. I mean, I, I, I've, I've had uh, great influences, uh, intellectual influences as a kid growing up in New York City. And, and I, I, I loved my, my Jewish teachers because they did encourage uh, intellectualism on my part. Um, but clearly, there, there, there's something going on. I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Well, aside from money, which is very obvious, a lot of it's just the ability to write a check. I think it's the po power of 
the Jewish community in the legal profession. There's so many, and part of it's, if you look back centuries ago, there were certain jobs they weren't able to get in and certain jobs they were. And so they became big in banking and you see the result of the Rothschild's influence, but also the legal profession. And because they literally wrote the laws, does that make sense? Yeah, well, well, obviously, yes. I, I de definitely, definitely, I get that. I get that aspect of it. Um, and I, I guess, I, I guess, I'm, I'm, I'm more so. I guess you're, you're not drawing a necessarily a distinction because I was actually drawing, trying to, to draw a distinction between uh, Israel and Zionism itself, and to a degree, uh, the Jewish American community. Uh, I was trying to. Um, you know, would you say that? You know, that that. There, there really is. I shouldn't really try to draw that distinction. Well, and also the scholarly aspect that you you said you've experienced yourself, where you had Jewish teachers who urged you towards scholarship, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. Right. Well, but, uh, just in general. I mean, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I have an art, I have an artist background, uh, but, but also. You know, in, in New York City, uh, largely, you know, most of my my teachers in in public school uh, were Jewish, and 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 saw that I, you know, uh, very very similar to how you raised your children. I I I, I wasn't someone to really uh, walk the straight line and and do the regular curriculum, and my Jewish teachers uh, actually encouraged me not to walk the straight line. And, and saw that I, you know, I was a different kind of kid, and I I learned differently, you know, and obviously, and and having an artistic background, I encouraged that as well. Yes, and, and I think there's something even Yakov Shapiro, who's been a guest on the show many times, Yakov Shapiro, not a Zionist, but obviously from that uh, Jewish tradition of scholarship, he wrote a book that's several hundred pages long with a ton of footnotes. And he loves scholarship and reading and thinking through things. And I think that's part of it. But Malik, we gotta go, because Scotty's on the line. Great call, as usual, Malik. Always love talking to you. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the issues of the day with the great Scotty Nell Hughes on the backstory. And we are back with the backstory. Thanks again to all our callers. Great segment with the callers. Joining us now is our friend Scotty L. Hughes. Scotty, how you doing? I am doing wonderful on this amazing, I think we're at a Wednesday right now, and there's so many things going on that for the first time in a long time, I'll be honest with you, um, I have eight different interviews today, most of them luckily with international media, and every single person is hitting on a different topic 
in America going on today. That's how chaotic President Biden has made our news media right now. They don't know their head from their tail, and there's not one central issue to focus on. There's at least eight different problems that right now each media is having to decide where do we focus on, and more importantly, how do we cover up for the blunders that's continuing to happen with this administration? Well, we'll talk about a bunch of those topics, but I'll bet this first one no one else will talk to you about. This first topic I title, What's Wrong With These Damn Kids Today? Is anyone else doing that one? <laughs> no, nobody's not doing Nobody has hit that one. This is what was great about your producer when he told me. So what the hell is wrong with kids today? I like this one. No, so I saw a piece, and I really was thinking this. What the hell is wrong with kids today? I saw a piece on YouTube. It was a report, an interview they did with the CEO of this cryptocurrency company called Kraken. And I didn't know anything about the company. And this guy had a problem in the workplace. You know, he had a young workforce, you know, young, like 20s, 30s. And because he had that kind of workforce, a certain percentage of them were woke. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, when you and I were growing up, no one was woke. Does that make sense? But th that that category of people, and the woke people were causing problems in the workplace because they were so triggered so often by microaggressions that, as you can imagine, they whined a lot. And it was very disruptive in the workplace. You follow me? Yes. And so he made an offer to all his employees. He said, if working at this company is triggering you, we will pay you four months' salary to leave so you can go get psychological help for dealing with your, your triggeredness. And about a number of his employees took him up on that. And it was better for him and better for them. And so can you imagine when you were, you know, that was that did not exist. When I was in the workplace when I was younger, no one ever quit because of microaggressions. Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm asking a broad question. What's wrong with these damn kids today? Are they so fragile they can't actually handle the real a real workplace? And what threat does this represent to our country? Think about that. This is future generations. And let me put it bluntly. Are, is, is the younger generation so wimpy and whiny that they're not going to be able to take care of life when they get older? Do you see what I'm saying, Scotty? I see, see my alarm. I see your alarm. Yeah, go I ahead. Think you, have, you have a lot of reasons to be alarmed. However, I'm not going to put this blame on the younger generation. Guess what? The younger the, the blame for this is on you and I. It's on our, our generation. The people who are currently the parents, we are the ones who have done this. We are the ones who have made it. You know, you look at a great example is our military. You look at they always say the military from the of uh, the US military 1940s, 50s and 60s. I mean, they ate food out of packages that have been dried for 10 years. Like they were strong the things that they went through 
the tests they were put through, the vigorous training they went through, compared to now where we're having every LGBTQA and F uh, training videos and the recruitment that they're doing. We're the ones that are the adults. We're the ones that are making this. I can't fault them for not wanting to work in the office place because we're the ones that told them it wasn't okay, it wasn't acceptable. We're the ones that said that, you know what, you deserve better or you deserve to be able to work from home. The coronavirus, Dr. Fauci and all of his little minions, they're, they're responsible right now for people not wanting to return to a traditional workplace because they're the ones that said that that workplace was dangerous and it wasn't good for their health. Well, of course, it's not good for your health. It's never been good for your health. But what it is good for is actually good for your pocketbook and for maintaining an economy. It's a good it's a good it's it's good for society to have people at work. So I get what you're saying. You're right. But it's not, I don't want to say pass the blame, you know, don't want to put blame on them, but they're only acting like we trained them to do. So this is on us. And this is where it shows because we are ultimately wusses. I do believe our generation of parenting has been wusses. We're the ones that handed them the screens when they were children to, to play on their iPads as babies. We're the ones that said, that no, we didn't. You know, we're going to keep you away from other kids uh, because you know one might have a cold, and we we're afraid you're going to sneeze, so we're not going to send you to to a preschool with them. So I, I get what you're saying. How do we fix it? I do believe that there is a group, and just because I have teenagers myself, there is a rebellion. That there is a generation. Maybe it's not the one directly underneath us, Matt, because you and I are the same age. But my children, I do believe that they're going to look at us and go, "You parents are idiots." We are rebelling against you, and we're going to rebel against you. We're actually going to be stronger than you because what you've done to society, you've ruined society. You've ruined our – when you shut down, you took away our lives for two years and told us that we, for some reason, couldn't play uh, in, our, in our state championship games, couldn't graduate because you did this. We're not going to make those same stupid decisions you did. We're going to do the exact opposite, and that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping there's that rebellion but what we have done as a society is we've allowed the small minority, the vocal minority, to actually make it seem like they are the majority. We've allowed the weird kids, and I say this nicely because I was a band kid, I was a geek, but we've allowed the kids that normally would be would be the ones that, that the therapist would recommend, the school counselor would see, the ones that are wearing the dog collars and barking and meowing that would be questioned about. That's now considered bullying. And so we've allowed those kids right now to make it seem like that is what the majority of this generation is. And that's not. We have to put the power back into normalcy and into standards and into this idea that, yes, there is a right and a wrong answer to a test. It's not just about how you feel. Those things need to go out the door. And you know what? Life does suck. Life is not fair. And not everybody needs to make the team. And I think that is hopefully what you're going to start seeing in some of these communities, uh, because that is going to be you're, you're seeing the ultimate destruction of, of society and with what our generation, the decisions we're making. And so, Scotty, if, I, if I'm understanding you correctly, you think we need to tell our sons, man up and get out there and show those girls you're swimming against who's boss, correct? 
you mean the not the transgender? I, I'm I'm one of those that believes that those men that want to be women that swim with, uh, try to you know just to swim with them, uh, should not be allowed. I think that we should once again identify men are men and women are women. If you don't want to be the gender you were born to, then you're in category three. But don't even try to get back into category one or two after you make that decision. Um, and I'm thinking that we should tell our women it's okay to stand up to men that want to swim with you because they that's the only way that they can win and get a ribbon. You sh- you have every right to look at them and say, you are not allowed to swim against me. You, you, I'm not going to let you do that. And we have become just so sensitive that we're protecting the minority instead of letting the majority, which to, to actually be able to be who they are. Now, Scotty, we have one of the things that's happening this week is we're all waiting with bated breath for Supreme Court decisions to drop. Isn't that right? We're waiting for a lot of Supreme Court decisions on guns, on Roe v. Wade. And do you have a prediction, a bold prediction, on what's going to happen? Do you think we're going to be surprised on Roe versus Wade? Or do you think that what we've been leaked will be the court's decision? What do you think, Scotty? Well, what I'm hoping, not only as a pro-lifer, but also someone who believes in the rule of law, is that the leaked decision stands. Because if it does change, if it's different from what that was, then it shows that mob mentality and intimidation, which is most often something done by the left, that the idea of protesting outside of justice's homes, of having a man drive across the country, potentially to not only kill a Supreme Court justice, but also his family, even though it gets very little coverage, that that works. That anytime you feel like something's going to happen on Supreme Court that you don't like, you can you can resort to violence and public protest in private communities. Uh, you can do that, and it's going to work. So I am hoping that Roe versus Wade does get reversed, as that initial leak was. It's also going to show that leaks work. That when it comes to the Supreme Court, that if if you are one of those people that are volunteering with a justice. That if you don't like where this decision is going to go, just leak it out to the opposition group and they'll handle it. And they will intimidate these justices into kowtowing and bowing and bowing to the mob, which might be outside, not necessarily the law, but more importantly, the mob. And I think that is a very dangerous turn for America moving forward if we do not see the, the decision that we think is going to be coming out of Roe versus Wade. That being said, Many people don't realize that, and not saying this about your audience, because I believe that Sputnik's audience is a very educated audience. So many of your listeners probably know this already, but many states like my own here in Tennessee, that the moment that it is released, that Roe versus Wade has been reversed, abortion becomes immediately illegal in this state. And there's there's multiple, I think they've said there's something like 23 states that have this same ruling that the state legislatures have already passed. In Tennessee's case, we passed it about six years ago, that if Roe versus Wade was ever overturned, immediately it would become, abortion would be illegal across the board in the state of Tennessee. Um, that will be that will be an immediate effect of a Supreme Court ruling, something that you very rarely see, where you see this immediate action take place. Uh, the other things which are up, obviously, the gun control issues are out there. Um, Chia, the gun issue has obviously become very hot right now. 
I find it very interesting as to the timing of it based on obviously the shooting that happened down in Texas. And at the same time, now we're finding out more and more about the chief of police and what he didn't do and what he should have done. And the policemen who were held back, the one that was held back while his teacher was, while his wife was shot and possibly murdered while his other, other fellow coworkers held him back and took his gun from him. Those sorts of situations, the timing of that at the same time as we're expecting this gun rule to come out and the red flag policies that for some reason 10 uh, rhino Republicans, you know, believe in changing the Constitution for all of this coming down in the middle of the hottest months. Uh, it seems like we're, you know, we're literally burning in hell right now in America and the majority of America right now with above average temperatures. Um, I, I think it's we're, we're creating a very much a firestorm uh, all right before the November elections, which I think is also just too convenient uh, for some political parties who usually prey on emotion to motivate their voters to get out. And of course, the big news today also was the proposed Joe Biden tax holiday on gas. And I pointed out that tax holiday that Biden's proposing, even if he gets it, it ends in September. And trust me, by October, everyone will have forgotten about it. It will, they, they'll just, and people going into the voting booth in November, all they're going to know is they're suddenly paying a lot of for gas. So I think this is also electorally stupid for Joe Biden. Does that make sense? This is insane electorally. It's not going to help Joe Biden win. What's he thinking, Scotty? Well, this is what was interesting on that press conference, and I listened to it, and I will be covering it later on um, on RT International for your for your listeners if they're still able to somehow be able to to catch the stream. That speech right there had one mission and one mission only. It was to remind Republicans that they supported this war in Ukraine and the backlash they were trying to put this on Biden. Uh, was not going to be able to be acceptable because Republicans, as much as Democrats, were initially, if not, you know, now they're starting to flake away, realizing they were a part of the manipulation that the United States was involved in, in pushing this down a path of war between Russia and Ukraine instead of trying to broker peace. And that's what this speech was, because there is obviously a lot of backlash right now, and it will be still remembered in November, considering you have, I think I saw an $8, $9 per gallon gas price in California. You people will remember this. And Biden needed to remember, remind those Republicans who were starting to criticize him for these high gas places prices that guess what? This is on your neck as much as mine because you're the one that also supported Ukraine, defending Ukraine and continuing to send billions over there, continuing to agree to these aid packages. This is on you as much as it is the Democrats. And that is going to be the narrative he is going to paint if he cannot get this gas prices to come back down into a reasonable area. He is going to try for the next six months to make sure that this is blamed as much on the Republicans as it is the Democrats. And I hate to tell him, uh, I hate to say it, but he might have a, a winning option there because Republicans did push for this war. And I think, Lee, you and I were talking uh, when this was all breaking out back in January and February and March going, guys, this is not about the Ukrainian people. This isn't about Russian aggression. This isn't about any of it in regards to why Biden's administration is doing it. They're pushing this to distract. They're pushing this to, to be able to funnel money through, to cover their own, to get more money, which we now have in 
more than, what is it, $56 billion that are going to be funneled back to their pocketbooks here in the United States. The EU is now getting in on the grift if they decide that they want to start, you know, funneling money through Ukraine. Uh, that's what this was all about. You and I were saying it. Some conservatives, some Republicans were saying, even some a lot of progressives were saying it. But that middle of the road there, nope, they were full steam ahead because they were being manipulated, whether it was by choice or not, that they felt like they were defending the Ukrainian people. And the eyes are being opened with every billion that Biden forces down the throats of taxpayers to go over there. Meanwhile, while we're going to the pump, Biden lied today when he said we knew, no, he told the truth, we knew this was going to raise our gas prices. But we knew the American people would do it for the people of Ukraine. That was a lie. And right now, as these gas prices are really starting to hurt middle America, and people are making decisions on what they're going to do, whether it be the vacation they're now having to cut because they can't afford the travel or kids going to college, there are some major choices after four months, five months of dealing with these high gas prices, and it will be affecting Joe Biden at the polls. But what his hope is the next five months is to put as much on the Republican backs as he can. And he's got a good grounds to do it on because Republicans went along like sheep to the slaughter with the Democrats on this bill. And Scotty, we'll talk about that more after. Let's take it. You mentioned it's hot. So let's take a break. Grab a jar of iced tea and sit back with me. And enjoy the dulcet tones of the president of the United States. Let's listen to the inspiring words of Joe Biden. Hit it with a clip. So for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today for high gas prices in America, are you now saying we were wrong to support Ukraine? Are you saying we were wrong to stand up to Putin? Are you saying that we would rather have lower gas prices in America and Putin's iron fist in Europe? I don't believe that. Right from right from his mouth, Matt, that's exactly right there all along why this was pushed to Republicans that they had to support this, why we saw all those, now we know complete lies that came out about people, uh, the maternity wards and the, the poor people in the streets and the elderly, all those stories were pushed to Republicans. And I don't want to think that they were dumb enough, naive enough to think that what they were being fed was the truth, but they fell for it either way. So now they are just as much responsible for the billions that have gone over there, for the gas prices and everything else that is now coming to hurt, the food shortages that are now coming to hurt average Americans, their constituents, because they voted to support this war and push, um, push Ukraine and Russia towards war instead of towards peace. Now, do you see anything, as we're having primaries across the country, Do you are you starting to see that the... I won't say influence of Trump, although he represented it. The influence of reality-minded Republicans. And the only way Trump was, was, in fact, a lot of, prior to 2016, a lot of people, you know this, were concerned about immigration, and no one was talking about it. Nobody. And Trump came out, and he was being at least talking about the issue of immigration. And now, no one's talking about these issues. But I don't think Americans, I think a lot of Americans were listening to Biden there going, I didn't vote for that. I don't care about someone's iron fist in Europe. 
yes, I do care more about gas prices than I'm paying here. Do you think that most Americans actually agree with Biden or they're not represented by leaders who take your views into account, Scotty? I think right now most Americans are very much confused. And especially, I'm going to talk to the conservative. What I'm saying, and yesterday we did have a runoff in Alabama. We've got several runoffs happen. But here is the problem with Republicans right now, because it's easy. For conservatives, it's easy to say whoever Trump gets behind, that's obviously I like Trump, so I'm going to like the people he supports. And traditionally, that should be who it is. But sadly, and it's becoming more and more the pattern we are seeing, more and more of these rhinos who we were expecting to retire, rhinos like Cornyn, Lindsey Graham, who should be retiring pretty soon, uh, the Alabama senator, which was who this runoff was for. We're seeing these guys that have been our major rhinos, the ones that have been at the pains, and we've tried as conservatives to, to oust for, for years now. They're going away. But what's happening is we're seeing them being replaced by younger versions, younger models, to some extent even more stubborn models who are going to get in there. So where we were lucky to have maybe 70-year-olds go away, uh, they're being replaced by 40-year-olds. That means 30 years of these folks. And these guys that they're being replaced by, they're not coming in as rhinos. They're coming in as Trump-supported. So last night, what we saw with Mo Brooks, who I do believe is a good man, a good conservative, who his only mistake was, gosh forbid, that following the election and following January 6th, he said publicly, we just need to move on from this as Republicans. We need to focus on this country and fighting back the Biden agenda, something that a lot of people do agree with. And Trump took that as a betrayal of loyalty, and he went after Mo Brooks. And so he supported the woman who was against uh, Mo Brooks. And what we're getting is a pro-choice who was the chief of staff for the senator that they're replacing in this Katie Britt office. And I have not met her, but reading her resume and who actually donated to her campaigns, including Mitch McConnell, we are now, what we're going to do and what we're going to see is I do believe you still have enough momentum, thanks to gas prices, thanks to the war, thanks to everything else that Biden has done, that in November you will see both uh, the House and the Senate turn over to go red. But what we've just done is put into more places, thanks to Trump endorsements, like with Dr. Oz, like with Katie Britt, like with uh, who we're seeing. You know, JD's a different one over in the Midwest. We're seeing all these rhinos, new versions, younger versions of these rhinos come into office. And if the Republicans get a chance in 2024 to, to get the White House back, we're going to be back to 2016 because we're going to have so many rhinos that that was the reason why Trump couldn't get his immigration policy through, why he couldn't build the wall. It wasn't the Democrats that stopped Trump. It was the Republicans in his own party. And we're going to be right back where we were back in 2016, and you're going to turn the House back over to the Democrats in 2026. We've been here before, and we're we're repeating history. And sadly enough, we're seeing this is happening because it's Trump himself who's coming in and endorsing these candidates that he shouldn't be endorsing. They're not conservatives, but he's doing it for one reason or another. And we're going to continue to see that if we're allowed to even go forward as a country after the economic issues we're about to have. Uh, we're going to see that same now, thing you happen and I, again. You and I have not talked about him before, but what do you think of J.D. Vance? <sighs> you know, here's the thing is, is that I know that, you know, he wasn't a Trump person. He very much fought Trump. But I don't base my decisions based on whether or not they supported Trump or not. My question is, why did he not support Trump? 
if he was a Ted Cruz person because of the conservative background, I can I can excuse that. I can get it. Um, I, J.D. Vance himself, you know, obviously he's one of those that we're going to have to watch very carefully. I did not agree with the president switching his support based off of just the one guy saying we need to move on, which I think in that case was. Um, J.D. Vance used to be, a, you know, I, I used to strongly support him, but then he went through this time period that a lot of people are questioning his conservative credentials and if he still has it. So he's one of those that I'm going to watch and see how he does these first few few votes in office. Yeah, I, I like the fact that he came out against the against the U.S. side on the Ukraine conflict early. He he early in the conflict, he said, "Why are we making Russia an enemy?" And how important did you? We, we talked about it on the show. But briefly, because we're almost out of time, how important did you think that speech by Vladimir Putin last week in St. Petersburg at the St. Petersburg Economic Forum? How important did you think that speech was? Well, I wish that people would have heard it. That that you know it's important because the Western media cherry-picked if they covered it at all, they cherry-picked his comments to make him look out to be this total dictator, which is not what his speech was. Um, the numbers that he was able to throw out there just off the top of his mind uh, definitely made me question uh, question more the other world leaders who I doubt could have could have been able to do the same. And that's what, and Scott, Scotty, we're out of time. But exactly what you're saying, no chair picking. That's why we played the entire speech here on the backstory last week. Scotty Nell Hughes, always great talking to you. Stay cool because you are cool. Right, Scotty? I'm always cool because of you. There we go. Scotty Nell Hughes and Jeff Halper, great show. So many good calls. We'll see you tomorrow on the best damn talk show in the afternoons on Sputnik. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this has been The Backstory.